I've tried to do things in my writing where um, my employer benefits from them. I talk about work a lot. And whenever I talk about hiring, I mention guilds hiring, right? Like there, there, are, there are things that I do to just try to like make sure that like it still feels kind of worth the, the company's while. In this episode, I talked to Nick DeWild, who writes a popular newsletter called The Jungle Gym. And he's got a background in product and growth and all these things from you know the startup world. And I just love the approach that he's taking to writing these days. So anyway, we talk about growing his newsletter. We talk about an interesting relationship with Twitter you know, and social media of how it can really serve you and be this great thing. And then it can also be challenging, you know, of... Maybe you're spending too much time on it or, or time on it in a way that's not actually serving you or benefiting you. Uh, a couple other things we talk about, the rise of individual brands being used to grow a platform. That's something I've been thinking a lot about watching Morning Brew and Fastly and some of these other companies do it. Uh, it's just interesting whether you're marketing as a company or an individual and it's just a good conversation. Um, and then we also talk about audience and just how that plays into your career. Uh, he recently made the switch from a full-time role to you know, doing more uh, audience-based business stuff. And so he's just in the middle of that journey. And, and so it's a fun place and time to, to catch him in the conversation. So anyway, enjoy the episode. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ethan. Okay, so I want to start on, you have this article that I like a lot uh, called To Tweet or Not to Tweet. And that got in my head. I also happened to go to the Shakespeare Festival recently and watch them do uh, the complete works of Shakespeare Bridge. So, you know, I could probably pull off a good to be or not to be speech right now. Um, But no, it's in my head because I think about all the wonderful things that Twitter and and an audience beyond that does for me. And then also like the negative sides of it. So maybe we dive into that, but I'd also love to hear what what sparked you diving in and, and building an audience. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm so conflicted on Twitter and kind of audience building in general. Like, and I, and I think I imagine you know there, there's a fair number of people who you talk to who are in the writing community who feel that way. Um, you know, on the one hand, like Twitter does so many things for me, right? It is. It is um, especially like over the past you know couple of years, right? Like as we've we've sort of uh, been in lockdown, like lives our lives have moved online. Like I have met and made friends with so many amazing people through Twitter that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Same with the newsletter, but like um, Twitter is sort of a, a little bit easier to sort of build those relationships. You know, Twitter has in the web three world, like, you know, uh, definitely helped grow my bank account, right? Like, the, the, so, so there are clearly things that like being online and participating in the online world um, uh, really does for you that are valuable. I think um, building an audience is super valuable. I, I have a, like when, when I think about the future of work and what will be automated and what won't be. I, I really think that um, human beings are our kind of greatest strength that is the hardest to copy is our ability to influence other people. And 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 this this really comes from um, some of the thinking of like this this author Joseph Heinrich, who who looked at what is the secret of human success? It's it's sort of cultural learning. It's it's our ability to like um, essentially watch what other people do. Uh, and mimic them, and we're we're really good at like detecting, uh, um, you know, what is a real human and what's not, and and who's someone prestigious that we should learn from, and who and who who isn't. It's really all to say, like, I think that audience building is super valuable, and and so and so I, even though I don't love the activity of building an audience, I have gotten a lot of value out of it, and I see the value in it. So so I very much come from like a conflicted spot in this. I'm very impressed by people like. You know Julian and Sahil and 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 Dickie Bush who like who have grown amazing audiences and and definitely like you know some days I I aspire to 10x my audience and some days I'm just like please let me be a monk and you know live in, <laughs> in, in seclusion. <laughs> well, okay, so I had a Twitter thread last week that I did. It was on company culture for remote teams, and I've had some that like take off. And, and do well before. But this was like 1,300 retweets, like almost a million impressions uh, level of taking off. And on one hand, I was like, this is amazing. Um, on the other, I like checked the notifications and the replies so many times. And it was fascinating watching it go from like my circle to the next circle out to the next circle out. And like, we're still in like positive replies, happy, 
oh, that's good. Let me build on it, riff on it. And then like the one circle past that, which it took about, let's say 12 to 18 hours to get to that yep. next circle. And that was the like, this guy's an idiot. I'd never want to work at that company. Um, you know, like all like the the haters and then on from there. And then it like dies out. And it's this weird arc of, I guess we should graph it. But it just made me think of, is this something that I want to do? On one hand, I added thousands of Twitter followers. I think I could recreate it. Like maybe one in five attempts would like hit that big. Who knows? Um, but I wrestle with the exact question. of like, do I want this? You, you're, you're just, you're like jacked up on dopamine. You're like, you're, you're yeah. sort of, you're, you, you start just imagining all the good things that will come from this. I should be doing <laughs> this all the time. Like, you know, I, 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 I mean, I think it's, it's sort of pro progressive problems, right? Like, like there's, there's the problem of like having a smaller audience and like putting something out into the ether and then, um, this, this kind of, uh, getting no response, right. That, that I think that's the first thing that, that actually like most people kind of deal with. Right. And, and, and that's, um, that's a weird thing because it's like it's like you're you're then judging the quality of your ideas based on the ability of uh, based on basically your your audience's response and and realizing like you're not actually talking to your audience you're talking to some subsection that Twitter has decided that you can talk to at that specific point in time. And so and and then you're you're basically judging your own ideas based off that. And if if your idea is like um I think I think when you hit a certain bar of audience like you can um, you can share ideas that are um, pretty complex and nuanced, and like you'll you'll find some some sort of interest for it, and and, and it has the potential to take off. But like there there's stuff where if it's kind of interesting and nuanced, there isn't really kind of a built-in audience for it, and people don't really have the time to like always dig in and kind of engage and try to like um, find what's at the kernel. Of it's why I like newsletters a lot more than I like tweeting. Right. But 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 I but I think I think what you're you know th then there's 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 the the problem where once you get big enough like you're now being your ideas are being put in front of a bunch of people who like you didn't intend them for, and those people, right. for some reason, have decided to invite into their lives like conflict with strangers on the internet because, as like a primary goal. Right. Right. It's it's like it's 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 what, it's what gives them a a great day. Right. And and um. And so, so yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing. And so, so I like, I mean, I, I think about this with like, um, I, I equate Twitter, uh, often to, to kind of, uh, like refined sugar, right. Um, with, with refined sugar, right. It's, it's, it's what we call super normal stimuli, right. It, it, um, it, or super, super normal stimulus. Um, and, and what, what that is, is basically something that like replaces some natural, like evolutionary desire you have with something kind of artificial that just sends your brain on like overdrive, seeking that thing, seeking that thing over and over. And, and that is, um, that's what Twitter is. It, it's, it's, it's refined status instead of refined sugar. And, and that refined status is like, um, it, it just, it takes this thing that you normally do, which is like seek um, prestige from your your tribal group, which was a really good thing to do to make sure that you you know uh, ate a good meal, um, and it and it puts that into into this crazy overdrive, and it like it centers your brain around it, and it's it's such a it's a really powerful thing, and so I you know again right it's like there's all these great gifts that come from Twitter. And then there's, <laughs> then there are all these drawbacks and it's, it's almost at like perfect equilibrium of should you do it or should you not? And I, I don't begrudge anyone either way for their decision. What I always wonder is if I could only have the benefits, like, is there a way, let's say that you uh, don't doom scroll Twitter with the latest news and whatever's going wrong or whatever latest Twitter fight there is. Maybe you do in a separate app publish these like smart tweets or brilliant threads that are going to get all this attention. And you do one of those every day. But then like you jump in an hour later and respond to a bunch of comments. And then like the next day you do it again for 30 minutes. And then like that's it. And you just back like there is this world where you could own Twitter rather than Twitter owning you. But like are you capable of it? <laughs> Do you have the self-discipline to pull that off? <laughs> totally. And, and I, and I think, I think like, um, you know, I, I've talked to, I think Julian about this and I, I think he uses like tweet deck for it. And I, I think, I think there are ways you can do it. Right. I like for a while I was good at like, I would tweet in the morning and then I would like uninstall the app off my phone. So I wouldn't look at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and like, there are things that you can do. Uh, it's just, 
it's just really hard because I, I think to some degree what Twitter um, rewards, especially when, when you're on the audience building path, right? I think when you're like um, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers, you, you actually have a lot more leeway to do what you want um, uh, because, because like you're, you're just, it's likely that your tweets will work. But like when you're building your audience, there's, there's something that like, it's sort of like there's a Turing test that's happening. Right, people are sort of looking. Are you an engaged human being? Because I, I, I know some people who sort of they they schedule and pre-plan all their tweets, and like, and to some degree, they they just they don't hit. They don't work because it doesn't right. feel real time. They aren't responding in real time. So like, they're out of pace or out of touch with what's happening right there. Exactly, and so and so it's it's sort of um, Twitter's kind of like looking for these weird signs of life. So I I think it's I think it's doable. There there must be some way to to do this, but um, it's tough. I, I think the, the other the other thing that I um, that, that at least Twitter did to me um, that I I disliked and and dislike is um, it makes me feel like my relationships are very transactional because you have these these kind of likes and retweets and like these these like um, very clear uh, like signals of engagement um, you you start to like or. I, I start to like, to like keep score. Right. And, and I, and I don't, I like, I don't do that anywhere else in life. Like, I, I think a good, like obviously good relationships tend to start out transactional and then like they, you kind of forget what the transactions are. And like that, that's what creates a close friendship where like, look, like you may have paid for me last time. I paid for you this time. It doesn't really matter anymore because we've transacted so many times, but, but Twitter, for some reason, like the score always feels out there. And, um, and so that was, that's really been like a little bit of a red flag to me. And I, I try to keep a, a generous mindset and a generous spirit on Twitter, but like I find it harder than in real life. Well, that makes sense to me. So maybe taking a step back um, and maybe we'll wrestle with some of these like to grow an audience or not to grow an audience questions throughout sure. the whole thing. Uh, what was the thing that, that sparked for you of like, I'm going to go start a Substack. I'm going to, you know, actively work to build an audience. Yeah. I, um, so I was writing on on Medium starting in like 2013, maybe, um, and and really got a lot out of it. I I started my career out as a um, as a screenwriter, so I was planning to go into the TV industry and like um, and and for you know for for many reasons found that to be um, a path where like you didn't really control your destiny. Right. I saw I met lots of um, you know mid thirties, uh, you know, production assistants who were, uh, slightly bitter. And, and so I just kind of realized like this, this wasn't exactly a, a good path, um, for me. And so, but I, I wanted to kind of keep that, like, um, that creativity, that like interaction with an audience, I think, uh, you know, um, it, it was, uh, and, and found that in writing. And so, and so I started publishing on medium, um, it was a, a great experience in terms of how quick it was to publish, but like the distribution of publishing on medium sucks, right? Like you're, you, you, you publish once and then like you spam all your friends and like, you're, you're just, you're working super hard to like push this thing and promote it. And, and I was like, there, there's gotta be some way that's a little bit easier. Um, and so I actually ended up in, um, I, I think I took, I took Tiago Forte's building a second brain course yep. and that kind of like, uh, magically grandfathered me in somehow to like David Perel's first um, uh, cohort of Rite of Passage, which was awesome. And, and and like, I would say like, I took a lot out of that, but like the biggest thing was was like start a newsletter. Um, and so basically I, I started out, I think I started out with review even, um, but but anyway, like, like start, started publishing. I like opted in <laughs> everyone I knew <laughs> onto the email list, which I'm sure they, they may or may not have appreciated, but it, this was before there were tons of Substacks out, and so I, I felt like it, it wasn't um, it wasn't that crazy. I probably wouldn't have done that in in like 2020, um, but but really wanted like a way to like continually kind of interact with my audience without having to worry about like you know uh, just just kind of constantly doing the the, the heavy promotion work. Um, now that's ironic because I now you know, promote Substack <laughs> posts just as much as promote Medium. But but at least there's there's sort of a built-in audience that kind of grows over time that, that you kind of keep with you. Um, and and so was doing that. Um, it was kind of it was kind of a, a mix of for work and for life. I, I, I was uh, at the time uh, the managing partner of a of a um, uh, immersive education program called Tradecraft. And like we we would help people make um, sort of complex career transitions into the startup world. 
And, um, and so a lot of what, what I was writing was kind of about that. It was about careers, um, but it also tied in with, with kind of deep interest. It was sort of why I took the role in the first place. Um, and, and what I found when I, when I moved from Tradecraft over to Guild was like that kind of nicely traveled with me. Um, and, and I think there's, there's something, something really nice about a, a newsletter um, being a, a kind of appendage to your career. Um, where like it kind of expands your professional identity to a certain degree. Where like you um, you can become a little bit more than just your job, um, especially like sort of working for um, like like a single individual company. Especially if you're if if the company is larger, you, you have to deal with a lot of like coordination challenges. Um, there, there's a lot of like um, natural bureaucracy that happens at a company. And one of the nice things about having a newsletter is like you are in charge of it. <laughs> it's like you're the CEO of it. Uh, the product ships when you choose to ship it and you have complete editorial say over it and the distribution that you uh, put into it is what you get out of it. And and there's something really nice about that. Um, it sort of like helped me kind of identify as a person who who ships a lot, even when sometimes, you know, you, you know, you have to work on something at, at work that like takes a long time. Have you found a direct core or even a, a strong correlation between the effort that you put in to your newsletter and your audience growth and the results that you get out? Or does it feel like a more tenuous connection? I think, I think there is a pretty good, like when, when I think a post is going to really hit, it usually does. And so I would say like, like when, when I put effort into, into writing something really good, um, I think usually it meets, it meets or exceeds my expectations. And when, and when I feel like something is, I'm kind of phoning it in on, on a, on a post, like, Usually I get that too. Um, so, so I think what, what can also happen is like, you know, sometimes you post something to Hacker News and it turns out it's somehow on the front page and like that your audience growth spikes or like you get featured in, in someone else's newsletter and your audience growth spikes. And like there, there's a lot of activities that like, you know, I'm not doing directly to promote it, but, but it just sort of, um, you know, happens in a nice way. Um, and so that's happened, you know, uh, uh, more than a few times. And like, that's a pretty neat thing. But like, um, I think to some degree that comes from just trying a lot of different things. And then like, there's sort of like a, a second order effect of some of those things really, you know, hitting it off. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. I, I knew in the early days of starting my newsletter, I felt a strong correlation between what I was working on and or like the effort that I put in and the results that I got out. I have been interested well, the time that I do like a really epic blog post where I put in a mm -hmm. ton of effort, you know, I work on it the for, you know, off and on for weeks or months and like really hone it in, get friends to read it, all of that. Um, those pretty much always do really well. But what I'm surprised by is sometimes the throwaway posts, like really, they're not throwaway. Like it's a simple idea that you flushed out into a post and you're like, hey, it's Tuesday. I got to get something out. <laughs> like it's sort of in that intersection. Totally. Sometimes those really hit sometimes they actually resonate have you had some of those that were like the easy ones that that hit so so the my my publishing cadence is i do i do two two posts a month and one is a and, and it used to be used to be one post a month and then i i basically separated out into two because i realized like it was too much to kind of condense into into one post and like i wasn't getting the 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 um, as many eyeballs on like the second half. So I decided to pull them apart. So essentially one is kind of one big essay. And then the second is a, um, is, is kind of like a, a link roundup, but I think of it as like, as like, I do pretty deep riffs on each of them. So it, it's actually like less of like a, here's what this is about. And a little bit more like, here's what this made me think about. And, and the, the essays, I, I, I always spend a good amount of time on them. Um, or at least this year, I've spent a good amount of time on all right. of them. Can you define that? Like two hours, 20 hours, 200 hours? <laughs> 20 hours is probably probably closest. Um, yeah. I'm a really slow writer. And so, and so like, and I, I do, I mean, I, I, like, I like write and like re-edit the first paragraph 20 times before I go on to the next one. And like, I don't recommend that, by the way. I, I don't either. Yeah. The, 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 the top of the post gets like, gets like a hundred edits. And then like the last paragraph gets like one glance and I'm like, God, get this thing away from me. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally. So, and I, I, I know that is the wrong thing to do, uh, yet somehow I do that anyway. Um, but, but so, so those, those posts, they tend to get, um, a lot of, 
you know, uh, time and care. And then what will happen is sometimes the, um, the, the ones that are like the link roundups, like will, will be very spiky. Um, and, and I, and I, I'll spend, you know, that's, that's a little bit more like a three hour thing, um, or, or four hours or something like that. Um, and yeah, so, and, and then, and then I had, I had a, a, um, something that I was doing where I was interviewing folks. I, I called it the, the key ring where it was like, a pretty structured interview that I would do where I asked the same questions over and over again. Um, that was, that was fun. It, it, um, it started taking a long time to like do the back and forth. And so I'm putting that on pause for the moment. I, I may pick it back up again. It, those are fun just cause you can, you can feature someone that, um, that you like and, and get a chance to just chat with them and hang out. It's kind of like this. Yeah. Um, those are always interesting to me cause I, I think about doing doing that on this podcast of asking the same questions, which I don't do. I riff on the questions too much <laughs> and all that. But if you did, in theory, if you were like, how did you grow from 100 subscribers to 1,000 subscribers in your newsletter? And you ask that to every single person. Then you could compile that over 40 episodes or 40 newsletters or whatever. And you're like, hey, here's a guide on how to do it. And like I pulled it from a whole bunch of sources. So that part of like standardized questions intrigued me. I don't love it in, in the live, you know, version of a podcast yeah. or a newsletter where it's like, okay, it's too formulaic. People have done super well with those formulaic, like uh, uh, John Lee Dumas, who did the podcast Entrepreneur on Fire. Like he went all, he was like, this will be 20 minute episodes. We're going to, I don't know, release one a day, seven days a week. And like, it works for him. I have no desire to do it, <laughs> you know, <Totally>. but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you think about the repurposing side of content like that, or is it more just about the the upfront? I'm really bad at repurposing, and and I it's it's something that I um I've like a psychological hang up about it. Like I always kind of feel like I need to be just like moving on to the the next thing and the next thing. Like I've I've tried like going back and like be like oh I should mine this thing for some some tweets, and it always feels weird to do. And like I I want to write my roundup, but I I think I think what I've just recognized is like another reason why I write the the newsletter is like i want an excuse to have interesting new thoughts each month right i, I want essentially a performance right we're like we're like there is a moment where like if i um if i haven't been like reading and thinking each month like um there is a moment that it will that i will be embarrassed if i don't do that right <laughs> and so like that that's the way i think about the the newsletter and so and so repurposing content would be something, it's almost like an admission of defeat, um, which which I don't think is is the way people, sh other people right, should think. Right, but that's the narrative in your head. But that's the narrative in my head. And so and so I always think it just, like, I need to be on to doing the next thing. There's a bunch of stuff where, like, I would love to, I love ways to use the archives of my newsletter better. Um, I, I think actually, like, stuff like this is a fun way to do it. Like, I come back through a bunch of, you know, articles and I was like, oh, I can, there's there's stuff I can, I can reference from those. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's tough in writing. That makes sense. Okay. So let's talk cadence for a second. Cause this is one of the most popular, popular common, I don't know, questions that I get from people starting newsletters is they're like, it, it should be daily, right? No, weekly, monthly, twice a month. Can I just do quarterly? Well, that, can I grow an audience with a quarterly newsletter? You've settled on twice a month. What was the thought that went into that? And, and what's your pros and cons on, on that particular question? Yeah. I like, the the way I frame it is like I I think um, I mean one of the weird things which I'm you know like I don't think it's just me but like like it was like when you when you release a newsletter issue like you naturally lose subscribers right like 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 people right. are reminded yes. that like they're like you oh yeah <laughs> you, have, you, you have, from that <laughs> yeah you have the keys to their inbox and they're like like why why did I let this person in and so and so like. And so ideally like that, you know, what, what, what I mean, that's kind of a rude awakening for, I think, I think people who are like, oh, this, this thing just goes in autopilot. Um, but, but you need something that like is going to generate more new subscribers than it will lose subscribers. Because I'm a slow writer, like my, my ability to write something that I think is going to generate new subscribers is like twice a month. And like, and, and, and if, and if I was, um, you know, like, Packy and Mario, like they're, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know how fast they are, but like they're, they're dedicated. They can crank out some ungodly number of words, you know, once a week, twice a week, which is super impressive. And I think if I was them, I, I, I would do that. And like, um, you know, I, I love that like Seth Godin writes, like, you know, I feel like he writes every day. Right. And, and, and I think, so I think if, if you're, if you're capable of doing that, like, 
and 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 doing something that doesn't lose subscribers, then like do it and, and set an appointment. And I, I think all those things are, are really nice. But for me, it's like, how do I make sure that like, um, one, it's kind of it's kind of manageable with a with like a, a full time job, which is the way I've been doing it for a long time, right? And, and I right. I need to I, I think um, you know there there are there are weirdnesses of having a, a newsletter and a full time job at the same time, and one of those is like is like you are publishing like if if your hobby was sea kayaking, right? Like like you could do that with no one knowing that you were doing it, right? And like and and there's there's nothing weird about that or like running a marathon or something like that. Like it, it's right. it's clearly like the thing you're doing on the side. Writing a newsletter is like it's it's knowledge work that is like akin to to um the type of work that you might do in an office. And right. so coding, marketing, copywriting, whatever your your day job is. 100%. And like and like if if you're putting that out on LinkedIn like, you know, your managers, managers are seeing it. And like, and so there's, there's just like, like doing that every day would be a, a, a weird, would, would feel weird to me, even if, even if no one else felt weird about it. Right. Um, and so, and so I, I feel like twice a month feels, feels good to me. Um, it's also, it also just like, it keeps me excited to keep, um, to keep at it versus, uh, making it feel like it's like a daily or weekly chore. And I have like a day off, I have a week off in between so that I can like, you know, uh, spend the weekend not writing if I want to, which is nice. Yeah. I like the idea of timing it to your, like your cadence as a writer. Um, what advice would you have to someone who's in that position of, of like building an audience on the side They're maybe they're doing it secretly at first, but they're like awkward about it. Does this make me self-promotional? But, but at some point, if you get to any scale right people yep. at work will either you'll tell people at work about it or they'll find out about it in some way hopefully they'll all be supportive but i don't know what advice do you give to someone who's in that position first you know acknowledge that there is weirdness to it like like there there are there are like there are inherent trade-offs to everything and like and like there is there is weirdness and if and if you're you're um like the the company i've been working for guild like they like everyone has been more than supportive about it, but, uh, you know, but, but of, of the the work and like, but I still have a weirdness, a weird complex about it. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think part of the reason I, I ended up getting the job was because of uh, because of the newsletter. Some of the stuff I publish have like, you know, uh, uh, shaped our marketing strategy. So there are a lot of things where like, um, I've tried to do things in my writing where uh, my employer benefits from them. Um, so, so like, you know, uh, whenever, like I talk about work a lot and whenever I talk about hiring, I mentioned guilds hiring, right? Like there, there are, there are things that I do to just try to like, make sure that like, it still feels kind of worth the, the company's while. And then also like, I think, I think I try to bring in ideas, like I try to have ideas that are useful to what I do at work. Um, so I, I wrote this, this piece on, on. Um, platform branding, which was all about um, companies that essentially used their employees to build audiences that that also benefited the company, mm -hmm. and like you know, we we ended up using that strategy at Guild, which which was which was cool, and and, and like that ended up sort of being the the strategy doc to some degree um, uh, around it, which was cool, and, and so, right. so 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 there there are, there's like ways that you can kind of I think um, you know bring that in that that are that are valuable. And so I try to sort of look for those things. I, um, but I think, you know, acknowledge, right. There, there's, um, good writing is vulnerable and sometimes it's weird to be vulnerable in front of your like colleagues. Um, and, and like, it's naturally an attention seeking activity. And if like, if like there's someone at work who feels weird about you, like, um, this will be, uh, you know, something that they can talk about, uh, the proverbial water cooler about like, you know, <laughs> why, why you're not doing your job and you're, you're off writing newsletters. So, so th there's, there, there's weirdness, but like, th I think if you can make, um, if you can, if you can allow your, your company to benefit from the audience you're growing, I think that tends to be a pretty good fit. What that made me think of is basically it's going to accelerate or, um, magnify whatever someone already thinks of you. So for example, if someone already thinks like, I don't know, Nick's kind of a, I don't know, he just doesn't contribute that much. Like he's, is he even working half the time? Then if they right. see you publishing <laughs> once a week, then they're like, see, it's proof of what I already thought. Evidence Whereas it. if like <laughs> the executive at the company is like, Nick is one of the best hires we've ever made. Oh, and look, now he's like publishing and writing all this, like he's a thought leader as well. Like whatever they think, it's just going to accelerate more. And so, <laughs> Maybe it's worth looking into what reputation you already have. 
hundred percent. And it's like, it's like, I, I mean, in the, the way I see it, and this is kind of what I wrote about in the, the platform branding thing is like, I actually think that, um, having a bunch of employees who are, um, in a creator type role, um, it, it's, it's, is a really like, um, underdeveloped marketing channel. Like you essentially, you have these people who have said, Hey, like, um, I'm going to, going to take my scarcest asset, my time and give it to this company. And, and, and now I'm going to, um, build relationships with, with all of these, you know, thousands of people who, who listen to these ideas and like, and like that sort of just gives positive energy to the company. So, so actually like when you compare it even to like a, a side project that you're, you're coding nights and weekends, I actually think, um, I think companies should be really supportive of, of, um, of kind of audience building on the side because it really can benefit them. Um, but, but people naturally have a, uh, there, there's a, there's a weird feeling about it. And so, and so you have to like, especially as a company, um, you know, uh, like our, our CEO is, is, is really good at, at building her own audience on, on LinkedIn. And I think that gives everyone else some, some permission to like, you know, write vulnerable posts and things like that. So I, I think, um, but I think it, it is, it is a really important thing to be able to have this kind of, uh, group of people who are increasing the company's sort of surface area and serendipity. Yeah. I like that. I've wondered about doing something like that for ConvertKit. We have a handful of people on the team who are very prolific creators. Um, probably the two, myself and then uh, our creative director, Charlie Prangley, she has like, I don't know, 200,000 followers on YouTube and a popular channel and, and all of that. And then there's a handful of other people who have podcasts and are, are active on Twitter. Our product managers are quite active. When you talk to them about things related to ConvertKit, you know, they're like, active with customers, but I haven't, or we haven't taken this approach like fast or, um, on deck, or I'm trying to think who else does it, but, but these companies where they're like, okay, there's 15 of us and we're all going to be become Twitter famous, you know, or start our, our thing and it will all drive back. Is it a strategy that you think works well? The, the best example of this, I actually think is, um, I, I think on deck did it, did it really, has done it really well on Twitter. Um, I think gong is actually probably my favorite example, okay, um, especially that. from a, a B2B perspective. Um, what, what they do is like, is all of their salespeople are out there like posting content on LinkedIn, but, it, but it's, it's not like how great gong is. It, it actually almost has nothing to do with gong. It's like, you know, uh, I'm an AE. I'm 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 grinding today. Can't wait to get off for the week. It, it's like it's like it, it it's sort of um, embodying kind of this this like this the sales lifestyle, right? And 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 the the engagement they get is is crazy, right? And like and the, the thing is, if, so so they're, they're sort of like um, there's kind of like you can build lifestyle influencers among your employees, right? But you can also like this idea of of building up someone who is who is a I know this is kind of a gross word, but thought leader in the in the um, in sort of whatever space you're you're excited about. Um, people kind of come to them; they build affinity with them, and and I think you you can build individuals as marketing channels. Where like it starts out, where like someone's reading your your post on LinkedIn. Um, maybe that person hosts a, a kind of invite only webinar for for the people who engage most of them on LinkedIn. Um, so, so then you're building sort of deeper affinity towards that person. And, and as, as you go down the sales funnel um, from like marketing to sales, you actually transfer that affinity over to the company as, as like they get into the sale process. That, that's, that's from kind of a, a B2B side, but like, I think you can do it also from a B2C side. Do you think that a company like Gong hired people who are good at that and encouraged it? Or do you think they like had the people that they hired and said like, okay, everyone, this is now what we're doing. Like, Here's a playbook, here's best practices, here's a Slack channel where you can talk about what's working and what's not, but like, we're doing this now, get on board. This is, would be 100% pure speculation. What I'd imagine is, um, is someone at Gong started doing this yeah. and, and one of their salespeople and started crushing it. And their you know, uh, director of marketing was smart enough to say like, hey, we could be doing a lot more of right. this. And, like, and, and be, because it's their salespeople who do it, Right, like salespeople have a, a natural incentive to do it, and so you know, um, I would imagine they probably brought on a copywriter and said, "Hey, if you need help, you know, crafting these posts, like 
right. can do that. It's 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 just it's such a it's such a virtuous cycle, right? It's like it's like because the affinity you build with these individuals, it translates to the company. And like it also just sends a, a bat signal out to other people who are like that who want to build audiences that like the company will help you do that and they will be supportive. And like, and again, right, if we imagine that like the like audience is this long-term career moat, it's just like it's such a great gift you can give to your employees for them to leave with oh, yeah. like you know like you leave convert kit and you have you know a hundred thousand subscribers or ten thousand it's, it's like or you know whatever right it's it's um it's as much of a gift as like the salary you're giving them it's just we don't think of it that way because it's it's a weird thing to think about getting an audience from your company yeah and that i mean that's how we've handled it in that we're very in favor of side projects we want everyone who wants to like we're not going to force it on people but to have a way to be a, a creator on the, on the side and to have some actual reason to use ConvertKit as a customer, right? Cause it's so different when you're using the product and you're like clicking through the happy path to test something. And you're like, yeah, guys, it works. And some customers like, this is really frustrating. And so that like, it's a very different, different experience. I think that it's just interesting. You're absolutely right about people leaving with that. Like, um, uh, Matt Regland, who's been on this show before, he was at ConvertKit for years. He joined when we were like 20000 a month in revenue, something like that. And uh, when he eventually moved on to his next, next thing, you know, he'd built an, a YouTube audience to like 10,000 subscribers at that point. And that was a whole thing that he'd done a lot with skills he learned at ConvertKit, a lot with, you know, our creative director, Charlie, like promoting him and, and just all around. But like it still happens, you know, we've got 70 people on the team and we're talking like six people right. are active in this way. So I just wonder how much to encourage it versus how much to just say like, hey, this is an option if you want it, but like you don't push it any more than that. I mean, I think one of the interesting things when you think about like the creator economy is like, I think the creator economy can support a lot of people, but the but the challenge is like when you're deciding, um, should I follow this person? Like there aren't very good moats in the creator economy. And so, and so one of like the, the, you know, few moats you can have is like actually companies that you've worked for give you this brand halo. Right. right. And, and so, and, and, um, so getting the brand from your company sort of, it says this person, like maybe a little more worth following because someone chose them. Now, does that true? You know, uh, I don't think so, but like, but, but it, it at least sends this signal. And so I think, you know, I think one, like your brand can do that for, for, um, for your employees, but also like, I, I think there's, um, I think like just showing that the company will like pour fuel on whatever fire you're starting, I think is like, it's it's one of the best like employee value props I think a company can have, right? It's like it's like look like the life you want to have, like we we want to get you there, like like uh, you know and, and and like and I think the kind of people who like would come work for ConvertKit, like it should be that they want to do something in the creator space because like you're serving creators, like that that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and we've definitely had people that we've hired who are already creators, um, and that's grown. So it it's an interesting world. In all the things that you could do to grow like a company or grow an audience, I'm not sure that that's the one that I would pick, but you, you see Morning Brew and, and Gong and so many of others doing it and it seems to work, you know? So it, it, yeah, it, like, I think it works for like, like select companies in select circumstances. Right. And, and like, and there's, and there's probably a channel that it works under and like the, the way you do it for, you know, for Guild where like we, you know, uh, we really target um, you know, companies with huge employee populations at the very C level, like, like we wouldn't do that on, on Twitter, right. It just doesn't make any sense, but like, would we do it on LinkedIn where like, where, you know, C-suite spends an increasing amount of time and we can, you know, connect directly with those individuals and maybe influence that the five to 10 people that, that matter at those companies with like, you know, one post a week, totally. Um, so, so it, it just, it kind of depends on like, um, I, I think, different companies can can kind of do it at different levels. Well, so that's interesting of the LinkedIn approach, which I think a lot of creators are either all in on LinkedIn and, and loving it. You know, people have built massive uh, email lists over there um, or they're like, what's that? Like I'll hang out in the Instagram, YouTube and Twitters of the world, you know. But if you imagine that B2B world where let's say I'm 
I'm working in sales either as an executive trying to get big deals done or, you know, or as a, a sales team member, I have a meeting, we have a great conversation, we connect on LinkedIn, you know, we're now a, an official connection. And now, even though you're not going to buy my thing now, you're like seeing my content every week or every few weeks. And then it's like, oh yeah, you're going to buy that thing from Nathan, you know, whatever B2B tool, right? <laughs> like it starts to come up. And then when I reach out again, you're like, it's not like, oh yeah, it's that one sales rep that I wasted 20 minutes on the phone with, you know, six months ago. It's like, oh yeah, I feel like we're friends or I've learned so much, even though it's just been one to many communication. I, I mean, I think the really powerful thing, it's like, obviously a sales rep is, is incentivized to promote the product at the company they work for. So it's like, it's like talking about that product, whether it's in a sales call or on LinkedIn, like it, it will not, it will not move the needle for any customer um, because it's sort of priced in, right? That, that's what they're expecting. But showing that you are an intellectually interesting person who has deep right. thoughts about the world, who is, who's a smart person. And, and then the customer making the connection, man, this smart person out of all the places where they could go work has chosen to work here right. because of something, right? There must be something kind of interesting and special there. And so they build sort of this affinity and comfort and, and, and like excitement about you and like, and, um, and then getting on a sales call with you, you're at this, just like this nice advantage, right? You're, you're, you're now slightly a celebrity to them, right? right? Like, and, and there's something, um, you know, like when your, your email or even your company's email then pops up in their inbox, like it's just that much more likely to open that much more interesting. And sometimes it's, it's those, it's those little things on the margin that can make all the difference. And so I think, especially when you're talking like a, a like really big enterprise sales, I actually think, I, th I think it's still, um, a, a kind of, uh, underrated strategy. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about it more from the creator side. Cause that was, you know, we went more on the platform company side of the benefits mm -hmm. there, which I'm, you know, as someone running a company, I am intrigued in that direction, but I'm curious on the, on the creator side, how do you think about that audience as being a moat for your career and that thing that goes with you as you jump between roles and giving you future opportunities and all of that? I think when it comes to like writing a newsletter, there's like basically three reasons you'd write a personal newsletter and, and or at least the, the way I think about it, like it's either like passion, like, uh, you know, I, I love cooking and like, this is a way I can express that side of me. It's, it's profit. Like I, I want to actually just make some side income or make this into my full income or it's like general advancement. Um, and, and, and maybe that like, that like relationship building kind of tie, I think relationship building probably ties into that. Um, but, but in general, like the, I sort of see one of those three things being, being like the core reason, like for me, at least for a long time, it's probably been advancement. Um, but, but like certainly the, the other two are mixed. Um, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious about, uh, you know, turning on the profit spigot out of it. And like, it certainly right. like, I wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't like hit the passion bucket. Um, and so, and so I think that, that, um, you have to sort of figure out which of those you're doing. I, I think, I think like if, if what you want to do, I think most people actually are doing it because they do want new opportunities and relationships. Like I, I think actually advancement to me is, is actually, it's the best reason to do it, um, uh, over the other two. And in that world, like you kind of want to imagine like, okay, who is, um, what kind of job do I want? Who is the person that I want to be at some point down the road? Who's like the gatekeeper that stands in the way of that? Um, whether it's like, maybe it's like, I want to publish a book at some point, right? Um, a publisher stands in the way of that. Um, and so what, what gets this publisher excited? Well, either, you know, maybe I'm writing uh, a newsletter for book publishers and like, this is the, the industry standard, but like more likely it's like, it's like, Hey, I built this audience that is then really exciting to a publisher. Um, so, so I, I, or, or, you know, it's, um, I want to become uh, a senior engineering manager. Um, and so what's going to be exciting to the VP of engineering who is going to interview me? Um, you know, it, it could be that I have an audience full of um, junior engineers uh, who who like are easy to hire. Maybe it's that I just like think in a really deep level about this really complicated problem that is really important to them. But it's it's sort of like I think having that um, that kind of magic gatekeeper in mind as like the the 
uh, not the person you're necessarily writing for all the time, but like the 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 kind of thing you're trying to build up to. Um, that can be kind of a good north star in that direction if you're doing this this kind of um, advancement thing. I I still don't think you should pick something that doesn't light you up because it's really uh, you know it's really hard to keep doing this like week after week when you're like grinding it out for some future version of yourself that like you know may may change. But um, yeah, I I, I think that that um, that tends to be a pretty good path for people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me and. The like network and connection and advancement side of things, I think, is one of the best reasons to do a lot of that. I remember like the first conference that I went to after having a blog and it being such a night and day difference. I wasn't even a speaker at this conference, any of that, but people were like wanting to come up and talk to me because of the articles that I've written. Whereas, like six months earlier, you know, pre blog, you go to a conference and I was shy and introverted, like I didn't talk to anybody. And so I was like, wow. Because I publish words on the internet, people will now do all the work. Like interesting people will come meet me instead of me having to like put out all the work. This is the best leverage ever. In the same way, like podcasts and everything else, right? Of being able to, uh, everyone says the podcast is there for the audience. It is, right? You know, thousands of people will listen to this episode. I'm more doing it because I get to meet people like you and Kimberly, who we just had on last week. And right, it's just about meeting people. Totally. It's like, it's like, you know, like I think with, with podcasts, it's crazy because you like appear in somebody's ears, right? You're like literally like you're right next to their head, you know, and like and it's 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 just like it's this it's this wild, like intimate relationship. Usually like I'm listening, you know, on on 2x. So everyone sounds a lot smarter than, you know, right. than they would if we were listening <laughs> to them on, you know, 1x. Like um it, it's 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 a I think publishing and creating content. Um, especially in a world where like we just live more online, where like more of our interactions are are remote. Um, I just I think it's it's a it's a pretty it's still sort of an underrated hack, um, especially in, in your career, right? Like you can you can just you know you you become intro like instantly um, someone who someone wants to take a meeting with, and like right. it's it's those little like sort of marginal decisions, right? That like chart the course of your career right like like did did this person meet with you or not were they predisposed to like you before you came in and like you don't actually know which article is going to hit to make them feel that way or which podcast is going to you know which podcast you're going to meet the person who you know might be your next customer or investor or something like that but like there's just such a powerful you know um serendipity with that i think one of my favorite examples is uh, of people using an interview show or, you know, interviews in general to break into an industry is Harry Stebbings, who does 20 minute VC. Cause I don't know how old he was when he started it, but like 17, maybe I'm not sure. Totally. 18. And he's like, I want to break into the world of venture capital and, you know, interviewing all the biggest names. At first people were saying yes to him probably because of his hustle, because he was young. They're just like, sure, I'll take a chance on this kid and come on, you know, your, your 20 minute podcast. And now he's got like a hundred million dollar fund. <laughs> I I love people who have like like a a ten step plan for their career. And maybe he just he just wanted to create the podcast. It was sort of like, right. I'm just doing this for fun. But like, um, not a ton of people have have a plan, right? Who who have have like a like most people are just sort of doing stuff. But like, if you like sit down and just kind of think about it for like like twenty minutes, and you're like, who might I want to be? Like, who does that person like like what? what would make me credible in that person's eyes? Like, like, um, how could I, you know, uh, do that thing now so that in two or three years, things work out? Like, like the, the, Harry's dubbing is such a good example. Like, I, I think there, there are so many people who, who like, if they, they sat and gave that like 10 minutes and turned Twitter off, like you can just like, you can do a lot of, uh, you know, good, good strategy there. Well, I think you can do it as a method to break into any business. So if we were like, I don't know if you were and I were 18 years old and we're like, we're going to be in the music business or even right. You wanted to go into screenwriting. If you, with what you know now, and you and I were brainstorming how to get 18 year old you into like screenwriting, we would probably suggest starting that podcast and you interview all the screenwriters in some format and it wouldn't result in work, but then you'd magically have this network and this work would come from the network. And you're like, there's no direct connection, but then there's a, a ton of indirect connections that wouldn't have happened without it. 
you, you know, it, it's it's kind of a similar thing. We talked, we were talking about Twitter at the beginning, right? And and like like Twitter does this service for people that gives them like a feeling of prestige, right? And like and and what you're basically doing is like is like you're giving an audience to people who don't have time to build one for themselves. And like, you know, most of the people who are listening to this podcast are people who who, who are building audiences in, in some way, shape or form, but like most people don't do that. Right. And, and, and so, and so you can find all sorts of people who are operators who are just like grinding all the time, who like would love to sort of rent someone else's audience to build themselves up. And so like, and so you can be then 18 and, and it's a total hack to be able to sort of bring on this screenwriter, this music industry executive, this, you know, uh, uh, VC, right. And it's just, it's incredible. Right. It made me realize another person on the ConvertKit team who does this really well is Issa Adney, who's our storyteller. So she used to teach all of our webinars and workshops and, and, uh, then has branched into working on like our brand development side. So she writes a lot of stories cool. and everything else, but her personal audience, well, I guess taking a step back, you talk to her, she's like, oh, I know this person or, uh, whoever at Disney or, or that kind of thing who worked on, you know, and just like the amount of people that she knows in the world of storytelling and film and everything else. And you're like, how do you know all these people? She's like, oh, I interviewed them for my newsletter, you know? And you're just like, wait, what? And it's like famous, I was gonna say cartoonists, but uh, like illustrators from, from Disney will like draw her a birthday card. It's, you can tell it's just for her, you know? And you're like, how? And, and it just comes from this exact thing of like, oh, I just interviewed them on my newsletter, which is a, a fantastic newsletter, but it's not like, they came on it because she's wildly famous. Um, it's that she reached out to them. It, it's so incredible. And I like, like there, there's a couple other people I've seen who've like, who, who sort of, they have their, their, their full-time job, but like they're doing this thing on the side, right? Like um, uh, Liz Vosley and someone I, I've known for a while and interviewed and she, she wrote um, a book called No Hard Feelings about emotions at work. She's about to publish her second one. And like the way she's just like, she's known by, by all of these people at all these different companies that like her company would be the perfect, uh, company to sell into, sell into, um, you know, it's just, it's just, there, there's like, there's so many good things that can come of it. I, I think one thing I'd, I'd advise to like going back to like this, how do you balance a, um, like a, like a newsletter and a full-time career is like, don't work for any company that doesn't value it because, because like, you, you know, like clearly there are places like Guild, like ConvertKit, like there, there, there's so many different companies where like you can go where like they will appreciate what you're doing. And if you can, if you can like, ideally, like let's say you love to write about cooking, right? If you can find a, a company where like that is, that is valued, like, like, especially like building an audience around cooking, like maybe it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a dishware company, right? Whatever it is, like finding that right place for not just you, but your publication. Right. I think is a really underrated thing because it just makes everything so much smoother. Find that right manager, find that right, um, you know, market. Yeah. That makes sense. If it's, if it's an uphill battle, like find another, another place where that's actually a, an asset. Someone will like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe before we wrap up, let's talk about the growth side because everyone's thinking about, okay, I, I have my newsletter and it has a hundred subscribers or 500. How do I grow it to that next year? So I'm curious, what are some of the things that have worked for you on, you know, adding a hundred or 500 or a thousand subscribers kind of at a time. Twitter, Twitter, you, you, you can use Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's fraught in many ways. You can also use LinkedIn. Um, I actually think LinkedIn is, is, um, is an underrated place to do it. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, to me, it's not as stressful to write a LinkedIn post as it is to write a, a tweet. It's, it's a little stressful because it's like, it's like, it's definitely, definitely to your company audience. And it's a place where like you're in professional domain, but like, especially if your newsletter is somewhat professional, um, then I think, I think LinkedIn can be a really good place for it. Um, and a little bit less of a, a pressure filled way to do it. Um, I think probably one of the underrated things now is like, you know, I look at how many discord servers I'm suddenly in, like in, in, you know, three months. And like, you know, I, I think those are probably good places to like promote. I, I don't think it's, I don't think you can, in communities, it's harder to just be promotional. You need to sort of have earned it by, by building relationships. And so, um, but I think like, you know, I'm, I'm in a writing group called Foster, right. Where, where like, where, um, when, you know, they, they help with editing and like, and like everyone sort of publishes their stuff in there, but like, that's a great place to like, to, 
to sort of build a following, uh, especially sort of early on. Um, obviously, you can do things like hit Reddit, hit Hacker News. Um, you know, Reddit will, I, I think I've been banned from like, you know, 20 different subreddits for, you know, a, a just posting a blog post, which seemed uh, innocuous to me. But, um, and then Hacker News, right? You, you, you never know. And, and, you know, getting to the top means you're going to get barraged with <laughs> terrible comments. But I think ultimately, though, you kind of want something you can build, right? And, and this is this is the this is the, ch the challenge with Twitter, right? It's like it's like there is a weirdness about Twitter, but there's also like building an audience on on Twitter. Like it's a great top of funnel for a newsletter, um, and same with with LinkedIn. And so it's it's hard to totally steer away from those things. Um, I think one thing like I'd like to to try and toy with once I kind of figure out the monetization piece for my newsletter is like I'd like to try paid ads. Um, and I, I think there's this, there's this like weird discomfort with it, but like, you know, if, if what you value is like, is a, um, is, is having an audience and people to write to, and you want to grow that audience, like, I actually think like, you know, it doesn't need to be that like literally every person you sort of, uh, painstakingly, you know, gathered with your blood, sweat and tears, right. It's like, it's like, I, I think there's, there's other stuff you can try, but you obviously don't want to be like, uh, uh, throwing a lot of money down the drain on, on building an audience. Yeah. I've, I've done paid ads with. Uh, good results for, I have a local newsletter called From Boise, um, which is just for the Boise area. And in the last month, we actually, it was a thousand subscribers and we doubled it to a little over 2000 subscribers, almost entirely with ads. So like no ads to a thousand and then um, ads worked well, you know, and it helps to have the, nice. the hyper local targeting. So I was in the same boat of like, hadn't played with it before. And, you know, at, I think we paid between $2 and 250 a subscriber. And, and is that fa on Facebook? Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Cool. So we'll play with it more. What are you thinking? Maybe we'll end on this question. What are you thinking for monetization on the newsletter? What are you, you know, paid? Is it a, a course, a book? What other things are coming up? Yeah, it took me a while to like get, find something I was comfortable with on, on monetization. And paid never um, appealed that much to me um, just because th there, are, there are some people who who I like, I will pay for their ideas, but like, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with content, um, that like, usually when I'm paying for, 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 for a newsletter, it's because I really like the person, um, or, or it's really like they're, they're just their style of analysis. I can't get anywhere else. Um, but, but, but the competitive dynamics of, of newsletters sort of, to me, like they'll, they'll kind of always be someone who, who can, do something close to what you do for free. And so, and so that, that always kind of didn't appeal to me as much. Like I, I think of it as like this audience that you're kind of building affinity with over time. And like, and can you um, ideally sort of find, build something or find something that's going to be really valuable to them. So I actually literally just this morning um, teamed up with this, this company called Palette um, to, I swear this was not, this, this, this timing was not planned. It just, it just ha happened nicely. Um, to I teamed up this company called Palette, and Palette's been sort of doing job boards with a bunch of companies. Um, and I actually worked with them on this this kind of beta product that they're working on, which is this idea of talent collectives. And so what we're doing is like is like basically job searching really sucks. Like you're filling out tons of applications, you are um, waiting for a long time to hear back from companies. Um, if you are highly desirable, you're getting a lot of recruiter spam, and they're just like barraging you. Um, and so we're going to do is is put basically just an Airtable form where you can say, hey, like this is who I am. This is the kind of role I'm looking for. Um, Palette has this this all these companies that they are working right. with, and so so they're going to basically um, send people, and you can be anonymous if you want to, all sorts of stuff. But they're going to send this to their partner companies, and then and then those um, and then they'll they'll send you sort of the intro requests, like, hey, you know, do you want to um, do you want to you know, chat with ConvertKit, right? And 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 if you do, right, we'll we'll make the intro. But like, you don't have to worry about a, a recruiter reaching out to you because they've they've said they won't do that. So yeah, I, I think it's cool. Um, you know, if 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 any of the folks uh, listening to this are like uh, exploring new job opportunities, would love you come check it out. Uh, um, but I, I think it'll I think it'll be really neat. I think it'll it'll solve a, a challenge that a lot of people are are facing. Um, for for me, it felt really native, right? It, it felt like. I didn't want to do a job board because it sort of, I, I don't know these companies. I don't know, you know, I, like if I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing a, a newsletter about careers and like, it felt really important that I'm sending people to the right place. So what I said was like, Hey, if you sign up for this, um, I will do, and, and you take one call from a company, I'll do a 30 minute career coaching session with you. And like, 
I'm, you know, even though uh, uh, I'll get paid some commission if, if the person goes to one of these companies, like I, I will really try to give them the best advice for them because like, that's kind of what I've promised to readers. And I, so I think like when you're thinking about monetization, it's like find something that feels like native and not weird to your audience. And I think sometimes that can be a pure paid subscription, but I think a lot of times, um, uh, you know, you can be creative and think of new stuff. Yeah, I think that's good. Well, let's leave it there. I'm super excited to see what comes on the monetization side. It's probably the coolest thing about um, newsletters and an audience is that like you can monetize it a ton of different ways. So where should people go to follow you and, and follow your writing and see more about what you're up to? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter where I have a conflicted relationship where there are days <laughs> that I will post uh, tweet tweet threads and like then the next day I'll feel very ashamed of it. But I, that's just that's just my first uh, Nick uh, underscore Dwilda. Um, and then, and then the, the sort of better place to get, you know, my, my kind of, uh, thoughts I would say is, is junglegym.substack.com. And, and at some point I should probably switch that to a convert kit, but, uh, but yeah, you know, that's, um, conversation for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Another time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'd we, we love that. And, and thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Yeah. It's been a great conversation and, and, uh, thanks for coming on and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks Nathan. Cool.